there is one event which stands at the center of both time and eternity. That event came at the end of a week. That week called the Passion of the Lord Jesus Christ, the time of His betrayal, suffering, death, burial, and resurrection, that Passion Week is also at the center of the biblical record. In fact, it is phenomenal in both the Old and the New Testaments the amount of time and weight that is given to that event. Indeed, it is, uh, as the Apostle Paul said in the passage read to us in 1 Corinthians 15, that if that event did not occur, if it had not occurred, then we would have no faith, we would have no hope, we would be of all people most miserable. In the Gospels, which provide us with the direct knowledge that we have of the life, the ministry, the words of the man Jesus of Nazareth, over one-third of the four Gospels is given over to describing the events of that one week. The entire Old Testament, with its system of deliverance and sacrifice, with its promise of salvation, revolves around anticipation of that week. And the epistles, the balance of the New Testament, persistently point to that week, its events, its results, as the only reason that men and women have hope at all. The most beautiful and explicit treatment of his suffering is not even found in the New Testament. Rather, 700 years earlier, it was penned by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. And I would encourage you today on this Easter morning as we celebrate his resurrection sometime today, read the glorious passage in Isaiah 53. Read and thank the Lord for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. But this morning, I want us to focus on a single verse of Scripture, as can only occur in the Bible in a very few words. There is a perfect summary of the greatest gift that we could ever receive the gift of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 and verse 2. And the message this morning will focus phrase by phrase on Ephesians 5, verse 2. And I quote, And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So notice with me from this text these things about the greatest gift. Notice first, 
Who is this person? He is called in verse 2, Christ. Let us look at both sides of His nature. Up to glory and back down again to the cross. First of all, this man Christ was a man. Human in every respect, just as we are human. And we see Him offering His life, dying under the judgment executed under the authority of Rome, suffering under the wrath of God. He was a man like we are human. He was human. But beyond that, he was an innocent man. He was a just man. And he is the only human being in the history of this planet of whom in any absolute sense those statements may be made. He was innocent of all wrong. He was just. He was righteous. He was, though fully human, with all of the humanity that we have, yet in that humanity he was utterly and completely without sin. But beyond that, he was a man, an innocent man, a just man. He was a great man. Jesus of Nazareth was descended from kings. He was called king by Pilate. He is called by the angels the king of glory. He will be acknowledged for all time as King of kings and Lord of lords. And what love there must be in his heart that it would compel him thus to live as a man and thus to die as a criminal. But even greater than this, he was the greatest of all men. Indeed, greater than all men. He is the one of whom the Scriptures uh, witness as being Messiah, the one chosen by God, the one of a kind, the one called by John only begotten, monogenes, one uniquely. There was never, there could never be another like Him. He was the one anointed. Solomon, the great king, was called the anointed of God, but Jesus of Nazareth was God anointed. But then look at the other side of His nature. For just as certainly as He was man in every way human as we are human, He also at one and the same time was God with none of His divinity, divinity diminished in the smallest degree by His humanity. And I will not uh, try to adequately explain the mystery of the Incarnation. 
that Jesus Christ was God and man. But I will witness and affirm the unified voice of the Scriptures that it is so. Notice, first of all, in His divine nature, He was God becoming man. He was one person with two natures. He did not lay down His deity, but somehow by the mystery of the incarnation, He put on our nature as well as the divine nature. But what man is this God become man? Surely, as His enemies thought when they began to search for Him initially, He would be born in a palace. He would at the least be wealthy and famous and have great power and great recognition. But it was not to be that way. In fact, in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, we read, "...have this attitude in yourselves which also was in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself taking the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men." and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. God's Son was made our servant. What love that we have a servant such as that. But he came still lower. We read in Philippians that he was made of no reputation. He knows every experiences, every experience of our lives. He understands every detail of our pain. Surely one of the most painful of all human experiences is rejection. Many of us spend much of our lives trying to recover from rejection. He knew it for his entire life. Even on the night of his birth, he was rejected at Bethlehem and was born in a stable. In infancy, he was rejected by the leaders of his nation as Herod, in a vain attempt to kill him, slaughtered the babies in Bethlehem. He was rejected by Jerusalem in his manhood. He was rejected by his friend Judas unto death. He knows every detail of our rejection. But he went still lower still. In Isaiah 53, verse 10, we read an astonishing statement. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Consider again the first phrase, the Lord was pleased to crush him.
during the dark hours on the cross, the mystery of which we do not fully understand, which will be revealed to us in glory. During the dark hours on the cross, He paid the penalty for our sins. And the penalty for our sins is the pain and punishment of hell. It is the witness of the Scriptures that He descended into hell. He bore the penalty for our sins. That penalty was not only physical death. Every human being will bear that penalty. It was hell. Not once but twice in the great sermon Peter preached at Pentecost, recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, he quotes the prophecy of the Psalms that God would not abandon His soul forever to hell. But He went to pay the price for us. The thieves fared better in death than He. They had only their pain to contend with. He had all of the pain, but He also had the contempt the derision and the scorn, and He also bore on His body the penalty for all sin. All turned away from Him at the cross. The disciples, the Jews, the thieves, even the Father turned away as He paid the price for our sins. How often to those trying to come to a rationalization for their own sin and an unwillingness to turn from it, say, down deep, I just don't believe that a loving God would send anybody to hell. Sin damns people to hell. And God takes sin seriously enough that His Son went to hell to pay the price for sin. And if you reject His Son, you will burn in hell forever, period. There is no other way. Think of it from another angle. If it were not necessary for you to come to Jesus Christ in order to be saved, it would not have been necessary for Him to go to hell to pay the penalty for sin. And if it were not necessary, it was the cruelest most sadistic act imaginable for God to allow it to happen. He descended into hell. God knows what hell is like. He suffered there alone. Then notice, what did He do? Paul says in Ephesians 5, 2, He gave. It was a gift this greatest of all gifts. Freely, by His sovereign choice, He gave the gift. He did not sell, lease, or loan at Calvary. He gave. No power could have cut the rock of ages from the quarry of heaven. No violence could tear him away from the Father's bosom. He laid down 
his life. He could have called it off at any moment. He was totally, in every detail, in control. In Acts 2.23, in that great sermon at Pentecost, Paul says, This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But do not miss the fact that he was delivered up by the predetermined plan of God. He gave the gift. As man, he feared the cross. But he must go to the cross or all mankind would burn in hell. So he willfully bled and died as an offering and a sacrifice. His death was absolutely unique. He fully understood the wrath of God. He fully understood the awfulness of sin. He took on his body at the tree the weight and the penalty of our sins. One of the most uh, wonderful private worship habits that I have cultivated is that of reading of great reading the prayers of saints of the past. Thinking about this gift, let me read you an excerpt from the prayer of a Puritan preacher. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy. Cast off that I might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped that I might be clothed Wounded that I might be healed. Athirst that I might drink. Tormented that I might be comforted. Made a shame that I might be made glorious. Entered into darkness that I might enter into eternal light. My Savior wept all tears that tears might be wiped from my eyes. He groaned that I might have endless song. He endured pain so that I might have health. He bore a thorned crown so that I might wear a glorious crown. He bowed His head that I might lift my head. He experienced reproach so that I could experience welcome. He closed His eyes in death so that I might gaze on the brightness of His glory. He expired so that I might live forever. He gave. And we are told in Hebrews 12 too that He did it all for the joy that was set before Him, enduring the cross, despising the shame. Thirdly, what did He give? He gave Himself. Not an archangel. No angel could be our mediator. He was not, the angels are not 
the same as we are. He did not give a saint, even the best of saints have only enough oil for their own lamps, according to the parable Jesus told. He did not give riches, the fire will burn them up, and in the fullness of time, the blood of bulls and goats was not sufficient. They have no eternal value. Only the perfect man, God, could pay the price. He gave Himself. He gave Himself wholly. His entire person, body, soul, spirit, manhood, and deity. He gave Himself only. He had no partner in the gift. He was alone. It was His blood and His blood only which was shed. How precious, perfect, and powerful a sacrifice that gift was. He had no comforter at the cross. In that dark time on the cross when He cried, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? God, for the first time and the only time in eternity, turned His back on His Son, and for the first time and the last time, Jesus was alone in every sense of the word. For that time on the cross, the Holy Trinity was ripped in two pieces so that He might bear the price for our sins. He had only Himself. The Holy God could not even look as He who knew no sin became sin itself that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Notice fourthly, to whom was the gift given? The gift was given to God the Father and offering it a sacrifice to God, Paul says in Ephesians 5, 2. The gift was given to the offended party. We need to remember something that we know. Day by day, we need to remember it is a powerful motivator in our Christian lives as we recognize and remember that all sin is first and primarily against God. All sin is first and primarily against God. Notice fifthly, for whom was the gift given? Paul says the gift was given for us. The gift was given for those whom the Father gave Him to be His people. And He promised us in the book of John that He never loses any of them. He redeemed us. He set us free. And according to Romans 5, there is no condemnation. 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Rather, Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Also in Romans 8, verses 31, uh, verse 32, He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Paul continues, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemned? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, He rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. The gift was given for us. This gift saves us with no help from us, from anyone else, from anything else. This gift saves us. His work on the cross is totally complete. Nothing is left out of it. And all salvation is because and only because of His suffering at the cross. This gift moves us. All of His agony, all of His tears, all of His groans, all of the pain, the suffering, the bleeding, the death, it was for us. And how it will hold us back in the time of temptation when we remember that it was our sins that nailed Him to the tree. How this should move us to commitment. Even creation mourned as He hung on the cross. And it was our sins that put Him there. This gift mortifies us. How it ought to lead us to hate and reject sin and to let God reign in our lives. Then notice, sixthly, how was the gift given? Paul describes it in Ephesians 5, 2 as an offering and a sacrifice. An offering and a sacrifice. His whole life was an offering. His death was a sacrifice. He suffered at all times. He suffered at the hands of Herod in childhood, by poverty in manhood, by the power of the earth, hell, and even heaven at Calvary. He suffered in all places, from the cradle to the streets of Nazareth, to the temple, to the hall of Caiaphas, the court of Pilate, and the hill of Golgotha. He suffered in all of His senses. On the cross they gave Him vinegar to drink. His taste 
was offended. His sense of touch suffered from the nails in his hands and his feet. His ears drank in the blasphemy, the cursings, and the rejection of his enemies. His eyes beheld in greater detail than we ever could the sorrows of human existence. His sense of smell bore the stench of his own blood as he hanged on the cross. He suffered in all of his members. His body, virgin-born, was scourged, tortured, and mangled for us. He was made filthy to wash us clean. He was murdered so that we might live. He suffered in His soul, and that was worse than all else. This is the real point. The real pain that He endured was the pain of His spirit and His soul. How was the gift given? As an offering and a sacrifice, as a lamb led to the slaughter. And then notice lastly, what effect did the gift produce? Paul, drawing on the metaphor of the sacrifices of the Jewish way of worship, says that his sacrifice was a fragrant odor. He was never more pleasing to the Father than when he gave himself to pay the price for our sins. And now the Father sees us as He sees Christ. He could only see us in terms other than condemnation. Because of this gift, we are saved from damnation. He suffered more than we ever could because of His perfection and His purity and His holiness. In Romans 5, 8 and 9, God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What I believe to be the most marvelous book ever written outside the Bible is the great work entitled Pilgrim's Progress by the great British Baptist preacher John Bunyan that he wrote in jail in Bedford for his crimes of preaching the gospel. He tells the story of a pilgrim named Christian. He tells it using the extended metaphor of a dream. And he says at one point that in my dream I saw that uh, Christian came to a hill. The way up the hill was walled and narrow. It was steep and rough. But he climbed with difficulty because of the burden that was on his back. Now in the Pilgrim's Progress, from the very beginning of his journey, the Christian 
had had a burden fixed to his back like a backpack. He could never put it down. He couldn't even put it off when he lay down at night. It was always there weighing him down. Christian climbed with difficulty the hill. But when he came at length to the top of the hill, he found there three crosses. And Bunyan says, as he knelt beneath the center cross, the burden loosed from off his back, rolled down the hill, and disappeared into an empty tomb. And I saw it no more. The song talks about it rolled away. Rolled away. All the burdens of my heart are rolled away. Christian lost the burden of his sin at the foot of the cross. And that is the message of the Gospel. That all who come personally, individually, for themselves in repentance for their sins and accept Jesus Christ as the only Savior by faith. God Almighty cleanses, rolls the burden away. It is lost forever in the empty tomb of Christ. The eternal God became a man He suffered more than we ever could. The brightness of God's glory took on Him our nature. The One who laid down the foundation of the universe, who spoke and the world was created, now laid down His life for us. And I would ask you a question. Has He opened your heart? Do you see His love. If you do, I invite you to come to Jesus Christ this morning. I would ask you a question if you are a believer. Which side of Calvary do you live on? Do you live as though the living of your life were up to you and you just do the best that you can? Or do you live on this side of Easter, fully aware and experiencing the power of the risen Christ for the living of the life He has called you to day by day. I would repeat the witness of the prophet, look unto Him and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. Believe Him, trust Him, come now and share with all of us new life in Jesus Christ. May we pray. Heavenly Father, You know our hearts. You know our needs. You know how often it is that we are deceived and led astray by our own wicked hearts, believing that somehow we will be okay if we just do the best that we can. Father, I thank You that we do not need to settle for our best because You have given us Your best. Father, I pray that for every one of us this morning, 
You would show us the greatness of our sin. But then show us the greatness of our Savior, lest we despair. Father, may You perform Your sovereign miracle of salvation in the hearts of many who need to know Jesus this morning. Father, would You call us as Your children from the bypaths and the detours that we have followed back into the way that You would have us walk. Do with us as You please that the eternal Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, may be glorified. For I pray in His name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of commitment. We will sing a hymn of invitation. It is hymn 347, I Surrender. Francis, uh, let me refer you to the announcements of activities in your Sunday bulletin, things that you might need to be involved in, but let me just mention a couple of things specifically. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m., here at the church, the Baptist Women's Organization will meet. Uh, reservations available or the nursery is available by reservation. If you need nursery, you need to call Denise Vineyard. Now, this Wednesday evening, during the midweek worship time, we will be discussing uh, the proposed budget for this year, and uh, it will be a full discussion. The budget uh, was mailed this past week. We'll discuss it Wednesday night. We will vote without discussion on budget adoption next Sunday. And the Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering for home missions, our Goal as a church was set at $1,250. We are not quite there yet, but surely Easter Sunday is a fitting day for us to go over that goal, to have a part.